In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we've heard the story of the rich young ruler. An account that's given in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so what we have is a picture that the Gospel and the evangelists all thought that we need to pay close attention to. This story of the rich young ruler, the rich young man who came and knelt at Jesus' feet and asked him, what must I do to have eternal life? What we have before us is a man, this rich young ruler, who believes that he knows what is best, but at the same time he knows that he lacks something, somewhere in his life. He's somehow simultaneously filled with pride, but knowing that he lacks what he desires most. When Mark accounts this story, he says that when Christ actually gives him an answer, tells him how he can become perfect, he says that he looked at him and he loved him. And then he gives him the answer to the one thing that he lacks. And this is, he attempts, Jesus offers him the cure to his attachment to his possessions those possessions that burden his soul and that cause him to seek evermore some certain lifestyle, some certain way of living life, if only unto his death. But some of the fathers look at him and see that in his question hidden is that what he was actually asking for was, how can I live forever with all of my things? How can I take these things into my next life? How can my life remain unchanged forever? St. Nikolai Velimirovich, who when he looks at this gospel passage, has this wonderful parable about the story that I think brings everything into light. And it's the story of a big ship, of many men who are jumping off of this ship. And I can't summarize it any better or give anything better, so I'm going to actually take the time to read the parable that St. Nikolai gave out. So, let us begin. He asks us, Imagine a great, proud galleon, a big ship, a battleship, striking a rock in mid-ocean and beginning to sink. What happens to those on board? One grabs a spar and keeps himself afloat on it. Another grabs a barrel and hangs onto it. A third succeeds in tying wineskins round his neck and swimming with them. A fourth jumps into the water with nothing and just swims. And a fifth lowers a boat sits in it, and does not immediately take the oars in row, but loots as much as possible from the wrecked ship, stowing it all in the boat. Which of them is in the greatest danger? Which of them will perish in the greatest shame, and perish they all will? The one who seems the safest will perish in the greatest shame. The one in the boat, who is standing too alongside the wrecked ship and transferring the goods from ship to boat. He is in the greatest danger. He will first load several sacks of flour into his boat, then seeing crates of wine and brandy, will begin to haul them on board. He will then grab some clothes floating by, covers, linens, woolens. I'll need these for clothing and bed linen, he tells himself. Then looking carefully and seeing silver vessels and golden candlesticks, he will take them. Seeing here are barrels of oil, of salt, meat, and fish with rice and various other vegetables. I'll need these. What will I do without that? 
he will then notice boxes and bags of money and precious stones. All this must, of course, be tipped into the boat. And how can he leave fine chairs, polished tables, velvet couches? And what can he load them in? So he stows them on board. The boat gets fuller and fuller and lower and lower in the water. Then he remembers that he will need petrol and coal for fuel. He makes room for them. Look, there are some bookcases full of marvelous books. He'll need to read in the boat to pass the time till he reaches land. Here are pianos and violins and stringed instruments and flutes. They'll pass the time. He stows them on board. The boat becomes more and more heavily laden and rides lower and lower in the water. That's enough, he says, and he sits in the boat. But he remembers that there are a great many other things that he could and should load on board. So he climbs back onto the ship and takes them. Once again, he tells himself, it is enough, and sits in the boat. But the vain desire for possessions once again urges him to transfer even more from ship to boat. At last, the ship sinks, and he rows off, grieving that he could not load up everything. He now begins slowly to row to land, but the water is up to the gunwale. In any of those who are in extreme attempts, extremity attempts to climb into the boat, and the man in it will kill him sooner than let him aboard. And so, overloading the boat with things, he overloads his soul with evil deeds. The wind blows and the waves beat. He begins to defend himself from the water, to bail the water out of the boat. When he sees that this is futile, he begins sadly to cast into the sea, first the cheaper things, then those more, more and more precious. But he has already tired himself out, loading everything up. And he has no strength left to lift them and throw them into the sea. The water in the end overcomes and swamps the laden boat and him with it. Such is the life and such is the end of the rich and covetous on the sea of this earthly life. They live with the false conviction that this world is a wrecked ship, without a captain, rudder, or helmsman. A wreck that sinks and breaks into pieces, made of use only by those who grab as much as they can from it, and who can carry the most in their boat. But in the midst of this covetous grabbing and emptying of the ship of life, the ship's captain appears, places his hand on the ship to show it is his, and says that the ship is not sinking, but this only appears to be the case to the short-sighted and to the ignorant, who have spent such a short time in that ship. He has been on board from the very beginning, looking after the passengers. They change, but he stands concealed and guides the ship. He knows where the ship has come from and where it is going. He knows the way, and the sea does not frighten him. This captain is the Lord Jesus Christ. Gently but decisively, he goes down onto the waves and holds out his hand to those who are drowning, those who have nothing in their hands but are swimming empty-handed. They are the first to respond to him and grab hold of his saving hand. But those who have loaded their boat to the gunwale find it the most difficult to respond to him because they are afraid that if they leave their boat and set off empty-handed to him over the waves, both they and he will be drowned. They do not have faith in him. They have greater confidence in their boat. Looking at them and reading their miserable souls, 
and even more miserable faith in dead things. The Lord Jesus turns to those whom he has saved and says, Verily I say unto you that a rich man should ha- shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Lord frequently referred to such instances and made it clear on many occasions that his teaching applies to them. Today, the gospel describes one of such these instances. So we have the rich man. He, obviously, is that man who is putting all of these things into his boat and it's sinking lower and lower, threatening his very life because he can't stop grabbing and pulling things and trying to enrich his life through things that are temporary but ultimately could threaten his life. So the temptation of the rich young ruler, as we said, is to find a way to live forever with all of his riches. Mark and Matthew both mentioned that he wanted to be perfect. And so this is what Christ responds to. If you want to be perfect, give away your riches and be perfect. And then he also promises him a reward now in this everlasting life. If he is able to make that step, to grab onto the hand of the captain to use St. Nikolai's parable, and to come onto the ship that all of those things are on. All of the blessings of life are on. And even more so because our Lord Jesus Christ is the captain of that ship. But before Christ gives this answer, he has a dialogue with a rich young man. And he tells him and runs through the earthly commandments. Those commandments of honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, so on and so forth. Each of these commandments, the reason Christ has guided him through these is because they reach up to that ultimate value, the ultimate social virtue that we can have. And this is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yet, we need to couple this with the internal desire to be with Christ and to follow Christ. Without that desire, the commandments are only moral rules. A list of do not do this or do this. When these Commandments really are what help us keep us on the ship. To not mistake the ship that is not sinking. We think it's sinking and we fear and we become overcome by that fear and we jump ship. And then we see all these other things that we want to put on our own little boat. To be our own captain. But the commandments help us to notice that the ship is safe and that we can stay on that ship. Christ saw exactly what that rich ruler needed. He needed to give up those possessions that controlled him to become perfect. It's an extremely difficult requirement for those who have much because we seem to be good men and good women. We've followed the commandments from our youth as the rich young Euler responded. But only keeping the externals from our youth is not enough. We need, as I said, to be able to desire and want to be with Christ then we take that next step. Christ did not simply tell that ruler, as we said, to give up something with no return. He also offered a reward, an experience of the life of the life that he was asking for. What must I do to have eternal life? This is Christ reaching out his hand and saying, if you grab my hand from this ship, I will take you back onto the ship where it is safe, where you will be journey with me to that kingdom that I know. This is what Christ was telling him, and this is the reward that he was offering him. So he reaches out his divine hand to bring him onto that boat, 
that was sinking already by his enslavement to all those possessions onto the ship of salvation amongst the storms of earthly life. He offered the rich ruler life itself, but he chose his own way, unable to grab the hand extended to him. The promise given by Jesus here, the reward of the present time, is his very, his very self. St. Cyril of Alexandria, in his homily on this, makes this point very explicit. It is the Lord himself that he is promising. As he told many others, follow me, and you will have eternal life. As he told many, many others. So the kingdom of God, our Lord, and relationship with him, this is what he is promised. However, the rich young ruler could not part with his possessions. He was sincere, but his attachment overcame his sincerity. This is a sorrowful thing when we're not able to make that step. When our sincerity, what we truly desire, when we make that step, then the Lord is there. But he desires of us to make that step first. He opens the door, offers, and promises. But he leaves the choice to us to step through. Returning to what our Lord said after the rich young ruler made his decision, and he says that it would be easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. This way of exaggerating the impossibility is, our Christ, is Christ's Lord, our Lord, shocking the disciples. Because what did he do? All the disciples did exactly what he called that rich young ruler to do. They left home, they left family, they left their job security that they knew of, to be fishermen, to be tax collectors, so on and so forth. They left to follow Christ. But the disciples are shocked at the saying, because they aren't looking outward at what other people have to do. They're looking at what they are already doing, and so they don't recognize the impossible thing that they have already done. They left all and followed Christ. And the ranks of the apostles are filled with people who did just this virtue that Christ is calling each and every one of us to do, to lay aside our possessions and not let them enslave us, but to use them and to give them over to the Lord and ask our Lord to be the captain of the ship again, to help us to make that choice. So what Christ is actually desiring of each of us is that we become stewards and his servants of the one who saves. And when Christ makes us stewards and servants, he isn't saying that we don't have to do anything. He's saying that we get to do what he does. Because this is what the apostles did. They went and they spread the gospel, they baptized and they saved many. When Christ blesses us, he desires us to have that virtue of non-possessiveness. We've talked about it before, sort of having an open hand with our things. This is another way of thinking of it, of to have, to be, not let our possessions rule us, but for Christ to rule our possessions and not us to rule them, because that's impossible. I'm convinced more and more that the more I choose what I want to have, that thing is actually choosing me and not Christ choosing to give it to me. So this is a critical question to ask ourselves about having this virtue. Is it Christ, are you giving this to me? And how do you want me to use it? Then we're freed of that enslavement to things. Things that will sink us and prevent us from grabbing the hand that saves us and lifts us up. St. Cyril, when he was 
closing his homily and talking, and we'll close with this today, when he was talking about how do we have that. So clearly, we have many Christians who have much possessions, but they aren't enslaved by them. So Christ isn't actually asking us to do the impossible, just the extremely difficult. He says, for the Savior has himself showed us how and in what way this can happen. That is, that the rich can be saved by giving up their attachment to riches. St. Cyril says, make yourselves friends out of the mammon of unrighteousness, that whenever you fail, you might receive, he might receive you into the everlasting tabernacles. For there is nothing to prevent the rich, if they will, from making the poor to be partakers and sharers of the abundance which they possess. What hinders him who has plentiful possessions from being affable to a, of address and ready to communicate to others is easily prevailed and upon to give and is compassionate and full of generous pity. This person is well-pleasing to God. So today, may we strive to have that virtue of non-possessiveness. Not that our things, it's bad to have things and good to be poor. For even the poorest can hold so tightly to the possessions that they are controlled by them. But to be called to that virtue that Christ gives us our possessions and then we ask him how we ought to use them. This is the virtue of non-possessiveness that the gospel is calling us today and which Christ is calling us to. May we live up to it and when we fail, may we ask the question again and pick up ourselves and follow Christ again to his outstretched hand and be on his ship. Amen.